Using his personal experience as a previously diagnosed cancer patient, our next guest has made it his goal and mission to help other patients amplify their voices and become active participants in their treatment. Brad Power, the founder of Cancer Hacker Lab, joins us to discuss the power of his collaborative community of medical experts and patients that have rallied together to help others find their best next treatment option. Additionally, Brad shares with us the positive outcomes the organization is experiencing and where Brad sees the work of his community heading into the future. Join us to experience Brad's passion for helping other patients and how you and your community can be part of the Cancer Hacker Lab as we continue to work together to move the health of our nation forward. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Brad, welcome to our podcast. I'm so honored to be able to meet up with you today. Likewise. Well, given your personal bout with cancer and the journey in finding your voice and mission to accelerate innovation and finding treatment for the disease, I'm eager to dive into this conversation today. But before we discuss your journey as a patient and founder of a game-changing community, a bit of housekeeping, while listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Brad, it's almost time for our community to know how Cancer Hacker Lab is helping people with a cancer diagnosis choose the best next option for their treatment and accelerate the development of disruptive startups that are helping patients with education navigation, and community. But first, I'm going to randomly select an icebreaker question so we can get to know you. Let's see what we're talking about. We're talking hobbies. We're talking outside of your work, building Cancer Hacker Lab, all the incredible movement that you're creating there and the community you're building around it. What's that one thing you love to do outside of your work? During the pandemic, chainsawing, strangely enough. (laughs) We have a lot of downed trees up here in Maine, and my hobby was making order out of the mess of downed trees. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever pick up a chainsaw before the pandemic? Just working around here, but the pandemic just created a lot of time, like a couple hours a day for nothing but chainsawing and it just never quits. You know, I've done a little bit of chainsawing in the past, you know, cleaning up some trees as well. It's actually pretty darn tough after a while. It wears you out. It does. And I've also got some arthritis to show for it. (laughs) And I love, I've actually seen it in person, some chainsaw artists, they'll take a big tree trunk and they'll actually do artwork in a tree or a piece of wood. It's unbelievable. Did you take it that far during the pandemic, Brad? Well, it's it's interesting you should say that my niece is going to be visiting with and nephew with three four-year-old boys. And they were saying, let's save some of those boxes from Amazon. We could make some forts. And I said, we don't need no stinking cardboard. I got trees. We can build a Lincoln Log full-size fort. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Just God. break out the chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. Forts, wood, chainsaws. Why not sign me up? That's <laughs> That's a kid's dream right there. Holy smokes. Well, Brad, thanks for sharing that. Yes, I know the pandemic brought out all kinds of things for us. I really took my barbecue game up a level because I had nothing else to do. So for you chainsaws, for me behind the barbecue pit. So 
thank you for sharing that, Brad, and all the things that are happening up in Maine. As I said earlier, before we started recording, I cannot wait for one day to get up there. I've never been. I definitely need to go. So trust me, my friend, I will be calling you back when that time comes. But for now, thanks again for sharing that. And I'm looking forward to discussing all the wonderful work happening at Cancer Hacker Lab after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus, or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Brad Power, founder of Cancer Hacker Lab. Brad, thank you so much for meeting up with us today. I received a nomination from some of your friends and colleagues for you to be on the podcast, and I was incredibly excited to have you on. And the story is profound. I cannot wait for you to share with the community what you've been up to, but of course, more importantly, how it all came to be. You have one heck of a story to share. The voice you found in yourself through your journey, powerful. So let's first start there. Let's take it back a bit. You found a Cancer Hacker Lab about just over three years ago, but there's a whole story behind as to the why of it coming together in the first place. Then from there, Brad, I'd love to chat about where are things currently today with the lab? Where do you see things heading? Then, of course, how we can get involved in helping you in the effort and where we can find you online. But for now, take us back a little bit to that moment where you found your voice, where you found the opportunity to launch Cancer Hacker Lab. Thanks, Mike. Well, imagine one of those Harvard amphitheaters with, uh, it's at a conference, a personalized medicine conference, and there are about, I don't know, 100 people sitting in this amphitheater, and they're having a dialogue, and there's microphones in the two aisles, and it's a time for questions and answers. And one of the leaders of the conference, an executive at Harvard Medical School and Dana-Farber, walks up to one of the microphones and says, we sequence all of our patients at Dana-Farber. And I'm sitting in the audience, and I'm bald because I'm getting chemo at Dana-Farber. And I go, no, you don't. <laughs> so I walk up to the other microphone, and I said, I deeply respect your institution. I think it's wonderful. I'm getting great care. I consulted to it years ago. But I'm here to tell you that what you just said isn't true. I've asked my oncologist five times to get my tumor tissue sequenced, and it hasn't happened. And I went up to him afterwards, and I said, you know, I hope I didn't, you know, apologize, put you on the spot or anything, but I just wanted to let you know. And he said, yeah, you know, it's like, that's our policy, but it doesn't necessarily trickle down to the front line. And a number of people walked up to me after you know, at the breaks and whatever and said, thank you very much for speaking up. As a patient, you have a voice. And I thought, oh my God, this is like God speaking to me. This is my calling because I had a career in process innovation and trying to improve things and writing articles for the Harvard Business Review. And I thought I should focus on cancer. It's the classic, I've been dealt lemons, I should make lemonade. I'm a cancer patient. I've had this experience and I can speak from that perspective. So that was kind of the catalytic moment that 
caused me to focus on trying to accelerate cancer treatment. My background had been in re-engineering business processes. And so the process that I thought needed re-engineering was cancer treatment. And in particular, the complicated decisions that patients have to make with the plethora of new diagnostics and new treatments and just navigating through all that. It's really, really hard. So I thought I could maybe go out. I'm very analytical. I could do some research, maybe do a consumer reports, write up some articles on that would help people who are diagnosed figure their way through that. I mean, the thing about cancer diagnoses for patients is it's out of the blue. In my case, it happened in an emergency room where I had a bellyache and it's just really painful, super painful, worst pain I'd ever had. Go in and, you know, belly pain could be any one of a hundred things, but cancer wasn't one of the things that I thought would be the diagnosis. So, you know, you get this diagnosis and then what is the disease? So in my case, lymphoma, I didn't know what lymphoma was. And then what are the treatment options and where do you get treated and who's the best physician and so on. There are just this whole world of questions and things you don't know that you have to navigate your way through. So I thought I could provide some advice for people. So that was kind of like step one of my journey. And so I did some, and I, again, as I said, I'd written some articles, so I thought I could do some research in writing and help people guide them. And then back in December of last year, I was talking to my friend, Bryce Olson, and he was actually at this same kind of conference. He was a patient representative. He has a a website called sequenceme.org. So it's all about patients advocating for themselves to get their tumors sequenced so they could get diagnosed or directed to the right treatments for them. And anyway, I was talking to him in December and he said, Brad, I'm really concerned. I think I may have hit a wall. Like I've been on seven rounds of treatment. These treatments work for a while until they don't. And I don't know if there's a drug for me that like we've drugged all the pathways that there are. We've you know, got all the mutations. We know what they are. We're running out of runway, basically, is what he said. I'm hitting a wall. And I said, well, we could run a hackathon for you. Because I heard about this notion of a hackathon, which is very common in Silicon Valley. It's where people get together over a weekend and they code and come up with new software. And this had been applied in healthcare. And so anyway, he said, yeah, let's do it. And his background, he's at Intel. And so he knows he's a tech guy. And so he kind of knows what these hackathons are. And hackathon are a good thing. And so we decided we would bring all of his data to a crowd of people who would help him think through what was his next best treatment option. And almost immediately we were learning and we were confronted with them saying, so we're going to launch this. So just imagine like never done it before. So reach out to people that have done it before, bring them on. There was a gentleman named Pete Kane with a group called Research to the People. He's now affiliated with Stanford and try to draw on their expertise, pull it together. And Bryce says, well, we're going to have a launch event. We don't want to do it like before Christmas, because everybody's on holiday at Christmas, we should wait until January and do it then. And I said, no, no, this is urgent. Like you need a new decision. You need a decision. You need a drug that you can take in nine weeks. Like, so we need to get going. We're going to launch. We So we launched in the week before Christmas. And I had enough experience as a consultant to figure out the kind of operations and infrastructure of this. So the idea I came up with, was we'll have a weekly call. And I don't know if you're acquainted with the agile methodology or sprints. And so like, we'll have a weekly sprint, we'll have a check-in, we'll you know have, make some progress. We set up a Slack channel for ongoing conversation and we were off to the races. And people showed up. He had a, quite a social network of his own. He's really well-known amongst diagnostic companies and amongst the leading research oncologists in the field. So we pulled them in. I was able to draw a lot of people because I'm very much of a social networker myself. And I'd been going to conferences and identifying people for three years. So I pulled those people in, invited them, and it was very gratifying. People show up. People in healthcare, a nice thing in people in healthcare, if you say, Bryce needs help, 
people show up, people will rise to that. One story was uh, Sumit Subudi is a leading research oncologist in prostate cancer at MD Anderson. And he got wind of this. I just reached out to him with an email connection and it was like a Saturday and he was just had to talk to me on Saturday. And then we eventually talked on Sunday and then he was all in. He wanted the medical history and he wanted to get involved. That's just the kind of enthusiasm that you tap into when you sort of put this patient out there, a patient with a difficult decision needs help, people rise the occasion. So we went through that. Bryce did get his best next treatment, as you said, happened to be a very innovative targeted radionuclide. So there's a prostate cancer has on the membrane, in the outside of the cancer cells, there's an antigen, which is like COVID, you know, there are those spikes that stick out. Well, there's like an equivalent one for prostate cancer cells. And so it's a PSMA targeted, so prostate specific membrane antigen. So it targets that and then puts a radioactive particle on it and kills the cancer cells that way. So that was the clinical trial that emerged as the one that the crowd decided was the best one. And that's the one he then got onto a clinical trial for. Had to work to get into it. He got into it at Weill Cornell in New York City. He's based in Portland. And that happened by March. So it was about two to three months. Got him confident to make a decision, made a decision, got on the drug. And then Bryce pointed me to two other people as candidates for other hackathons. One was for and is undergoing underway for Linnea Olson, who's a non-small cell lung cancer patient with an ALK positive mutation. And the other is for Casey Altman, who's a young woman with a rhabdomyosarcoma. It's a rare cancer, typically a pediatric cancer, a sarcoma. So basically took the same model and ran it for each of those two individuals and have been going through the process of looking at diagnostic tests, looking at treatment options and trying to find experts to engage. So it's basically there are three ingredients. What are the treatment options? What are they? Let's brainstorm and then let's prioritize them. What are the tests you would take to decide amongst them? And then who are the experts you'd want to draw in to help you in making that decision? So those are the three basic ingredients and we just, every week we're making progress and then stuff happens. People get sick, people's biomarkers go bad, chemo knocks them out, they're in the hospital. I mean, stuff happens. That in Bryce's case, the PSA went up and so it put an urgency on what we were doing. So we're kind of, it's like improv theater, like we're constantly evolving based on what's evolving with the patient. And the other thing is like I describe it as herding cats is that there's this crowd and the crowd has its own dynamic. There are a lot of very smart people who have questions, very smart questions. And then as you have questions and problems, people emerge to deal with whatever those are. So it's a very organic conversation that evolves over time, kind of with the guidance of the patients. It's all very patient-centered. It's all this whole community is doing nothing but doing what's best for the patient. That is powerful, Brad. So many questions on what you have built and the community that you're rallying around it. You know, typically, and I'm a big fan of hackathons as well. We do them here at Olive. I've done them in the past with other initiatives, do them here at Catalyst, my healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. And typically, Brad, those are time boxed, right? We would typically see a hackathon last maybe like 48 hours straight. And yeah, 48 literal hours straight, round the clock, up all night, up all day. What does this look like in regards to the hackathon for the patient? Is it not time boxing? Does it go until we find answers? And then after that, I want to ask some questions about the startups getting involved as well. But let's unpack that a bit around the patient, if you can. I think that like a time boxed and physically based session is great for what it does. First of all, it made no sense during the pandemic. But second, it's too 
rigid for the learning. Basically, we're talking about, think of it as a learning process, like we're educating ourselves, the community is educating itself, and it's evolving. And I think you need more cycles than you can get in 48 hours. We have the luxury, I guess, in a way, of spreading it out over multiple months. In Bryce's case, he needed you know, a decision like in six months. He needed to be on a new therapy because his PSA was spiking. In Linnea's case, it was a little more open-ended until it wasn't. She had a setback. She got a collapsed lung and some pleural effusion, which means liquid on the lung. We had to do a fire drill to come up with recommendations for her. In Casey's case, Every one of these cancers has an arc. In my case, my kind of cancer is a slow growing, they call it indolent cancer. You detect that it's going bad and then you've got time to deal with it. Some of these other cancers, when things start going bad, you need to be on top of it and respond immediately. And in Casey's case, it's a cancer that responds very well to chemo, but then there's a 70% chance that it recurs. And then there's no treatments at that point other than the chemo. And so this is a like, can we find a next treatment? And it has to be kind of, it's plan B, C, and D. You'll need to be able to have these on the shelf ready to invoke because things may happen very fast. So the point is, back to your question, done or success for each one of these patients is different. And the luxury we have is that we're shrinking or expanding the time to fit the learning process and the needs of that patient. And then in regards to the startup, so we have incredible startup founders, entrepreneurs that tune into our podcast that are really passionate about moving the health of our nation forward through technology. And you mentioned within the Cancer Hacker Lab kind of a mantra that startups are welcome and they're ones that are addressing cancer patient challenges and education, navigation in the community. They're there. You guys are there for them and you're inviting them. Can you explain a bit more? How are startups getting involved? How are you leveraging them? Maybe give a little bit of the journey of the startup within the Cancer Hacker Lab framework. If you looked at the Bryce Olson hackathon, I think we had a dozen or more diagnostic companies that were actively participating. So this is a big data and analytics question at the most general level. And in order to feed the data, you need diagnostics. And that means you need tests. So working backwards, the big players in the diagnostic space are largely the gene sequencing companies. Foundation Medicine and Tempest, they participated. In addition, there are an emergent number of startups with very innovative, kind of like fresh out of the lab or in the lab kinds of technologies that are doing crazy things. RNA sequencing, we now know about mRNA from, again, from COVID. There's RNA sequencing. There's various omics, which are then looking at the microenvironment around the cancer cells. And then there's these things that I don't even understand about spatial. Like, so they're starting to build models, not just of the cancer cells, but of what's going on around the cancer cells, because there are all these pathways and they're figuring out all kinds of novel pathways to block, to stop the cancer cells from doing what they're doing. So it could be stopping the food they're getting or whatever. The whole challenge is distinguishing cancer cells from normal cells and then doing something that stops what's unique to cancer cells. And they're like you can imagine, there are zillion avenues to do that. And so the number of possible diagnostics, which is the feedstock for the analytics that's going to come up with a personalized decision, is many. And so all these startups are quite willing to participate because the feedstock of this, the energy is not money, but it's publicity. So for a startup being associated with what we're doing, if they could come up with a novel insight they would help this patient, and then we could write an article about it or a publication. That's what they want. And by the way, that's also what attracts all of the research oncologists, the providers, and many others is people who are very curious about this cutting edge 
application of technologies, again, which many of which are coming from startups, but it's also what's feeding the flywheel of this whole hackathon system is the chance to get notoriety, to get known from applying the startup technology in this environment. And then going back to the patients, Brad, the patient side of this hackathon, and if you go to the website, which it is just so inspiring, cancerhackerlab.com, you'll see in there the hackathons around the patients. You have three of them listed there. How do the patients get involved? How does that happen? Is there a process there? How do those actual patients you listed on the website, how do they get involved? In this case, I described Bryce and I were just having a conversation. That was the springboard for the first one. And then by word of mouth, he recommended. So the starting point is these are extremely activated patients on the spectrum. Many patients probably the majority of patients that get a cancer diagnosis are in denial or they just want to lean on their doctor in a white lab coat. They're basically going to go with whatever they're going to trust their doctor, go with what their doctor said. That's the way my father was. He got diagnosed with stomach cancer, got a great doctor. He was a very obedient patient, did whatever he was supposed to do. So there's that kind of patient. And then there's patients who pretend that it didn't happen or they're in denial or they're just completely overwhelmed emotionally. They just don't want to deal with it. So it's a very narrow sliver of patient that would be attracted to this kind of hackathon where they're completely activated. They want to leave no stone unturned. They want to be actively involved and engaged with the decisions their doctors are making. It means they've come up with a steep learning curve. It means they can go toe-to-toe with their doctors on treatment options because they've educated themselves about what those treatment options are. They don't have the decades of medical school. They can't probably tell you about the biology they can't tell you about the microbiology or you know what's going on, but they can talk about the treatment options and the trade-offs amongst those treatment options and the diagnostics and the trade-offs there. So these people start as those kind of very active, engaged patients in their own decision-making and or this should not be undermentioned and that's and caregivers. So in the case of Casey Altman, we have her mother, Delcy, who is the driving force behind finding her her best, Casey's best treatment options. So it really helps, we've learned, to have someone in your corner, like a family member or a friend, a caregiver, and those people are just as actively driving this as as the patients. So powerful. And definitely head over to the website. You can actually see the faces of these patients and read their story. It is inspiring, Brad. Thank you for bringing those patients to life on the website. I think it's important, right? I mean, these hackathons, yes, you can get into the weeds of it and build and sometimes lose sight of what you're building. But to be able to see the face, see who you're working for and with, it is powerful. So Brad, where do you also see things heading with the lab in the future, right? Things are changing drastically and quickly within the healthcare arena. Just broadly, especially as we living through this pandemic, we see a lot of a lot of a lot of things. You mentioned mRNA technology just a few moments ago. Where do you see your work? Where do you see the community that you built? Where do you see things heading in the future with the Cancer Hacker Lab? So I have uh, call it delusions of grandeur, aspirations. Aspirations would be we've done these three hackathons for individuals. I would be very happy to run more for other patients and other cancers that fit that profile, whether it's colorectal cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, you name it, and have sort of a beachhead in each of those other cancers. And starting with highly engaged, highly activated, well-known patients in each of those cancers. So I call that my horizontal strategy. And then there's a vertical strategy, which is our intention to take what we do for one patient and then scale it and make it accessible at reasonable cost, right? So make it much more efficient, make it much more low cost because we have all the basic ingredients. Once one of these patients has blazed the trail, you have who are the experts in this space? What are the treatment options? 
And what are the tests you should take? We have all of those ingredients. So running someone else through that process now becomes, you know, it's been greased. It's, it's been, that path has been blazed. Now we can run more people down it. The intention would be to essentially offer for other patients who fit the profile of a complex decision. So I should make it, it's an important distinction between people who show up like my cancer, where I pretty much fit what they call the standard of care. And so there were like, you have this follicular lymphoma, we have this chemo treatment. And you go through that standard of care and 70% of the people come out on the other side and there's no evidence of disease. So I, I fit that. That's not what the hackathon is for, therefore. The hackathon is for the people that have been through that first line of therapy, second and third, or in the case of a rare cancer, it's like from the moment you get the diagnosis, the medical system says, there's nothing more we can do for you. And so we are there for the Hail Mary. It's like we're reaching into the research labs, we're reaching into these all these expert areas, the new novel diagnostics and what have you, to find hope for patients who don't have any hope because the medical system has said, you know, get your affairs in order, there's nothing more we can do for you. And we're doing it for those people who reject that and say, no, I'm going to keep giving it a shot. Well, and what I also love about the model, Brad, you mentioned, right? So you have cancer type X, you've done a hackathon around that. You've got all the resources mapped out. Not only have you blazed that trail, but to get down that trail the next time around for the next patient is much faster as well, because you've already resourced everything. You have it ready to go. So love that part of the model as well. But of course, Brad, the future sounds exciting. You guys are deeply passionate and committed to the mission and vision at hand here with Cancer Hacker Lab. Where can we be helping you? What's one problem, need, or question our community can be contemplating and helping you with? Yeah, I think, you know, sort of two directions, and we've already talked about both. So one would be identifying the patients that fit the profile. So super activated, super aggressive and energetic, educated patients who would gravitate towards this kind of a community around them to make them smarter and to make sure that they are getting the best treatment options and get confidence about their best next treatment. And then scaling it. Scaling is also more patients, you know, patients who fit, who are similar to the patients that have been down the path already. It's basically a startup. It's a startup itself. These would be startups. So take a cancer type and it's going to require operations and money and everything you need to do to build a, essentially a business around helping them with their decisions. And then the startups are any testing company in any of that, any of those omics, any of those novel diagnostics that could help inform that decision, their participation would be extremely valuable. And again, it's for very complex situations and getting data. And there is one other issue, one problem that we have found that's been uncovered by this, and it goes by the clever name of the issue is tissue. If you look at the raw material for almost all the tests, there's now what they call liquid biopsies. So you take blood and you analyze the blood and there's this circulating tumor DNA, or there might be things you can tell by looking at the blood. But most of this is done by looking at tumor tissue, and the tumor tissue comes from biopsies, and that's almost always a scarce commodity. So like, let's suppose we could run 5, 10, 12 tests, but they all are going to require so many slides, so much tissue. We almost immediately exhaust whatever tissue there is because the system isn't used to gathering. Most of these things are done by a core needle. I had two of them myself. You know, it's a needle that goes into the tumor and extracts a bit of tissue. So you can imagine what comes out of a core needle is not a lot of tissue. And then you want to run that through, like all these startups show up willing to run tests, but we don't have any tissue to give them to run tests upon. So that's the problem to solve. 
How can we get more tissue for testing? How can we allocate and manage that tissue? We've heard that in the lab, there are companies that say they can take tissue and multiply it. Wouldn't that be cool? And so we wouldn't have that constraint. But anyway, that's one of the biggest problems that we're wrestling with. Well, thank you for sharing that. And of course, our community is uh, well connected in the space and is very passionate around solving these types of needs and problems. So thank you for sharing that. But in order to give some feedback, give some insight, direction and connections, how can they find you? How can the community connect with you, Brad? Social media handles, websites or otherwise, how do we get a hold of you? Cancer Hacker Lab, as you've mentioned, uh, cancerhackerlab.com is a good place to, you know, sort of see what we're up to. And my contact information is there. My email address is bradfordpower at gmail.com. And my Twitter handle is at Bradford Power. And I'm on LinkedIn. Easy enough. And we'll include all of those contact points in the episode notes. So simply scroll down in your podcast player, be able to find all those contact points to click on through. And of course, lastly, you can head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com, where you can also leave feedback and then comments, suggestions, or otherwise on Brad's post over there, again, at passionatepioneers.com. Well, thank you for sharing that, Brad. We're going to wrap it up here. So we can get you back to work, building your community and getting after the mission at hand. But we have a fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I think of it as being like a social justice warrior. The medical industrial complex we have in the U.S. in particular is very skewed to everyone but the patient. And they give lip service to the patient as a center and the patient is, you know, the reason for everything. But if you look at actual decisions and how they get made, patients are an afterthought and it's very paternalistic. And being an activated patient, someone who wants to take control is diabolically difficult. And we run into that all the time. Consents are one of the issues. So the tissue that we were talking about, in many cases, the tissue has been taken over by the institution or by the research, the pharmaceutical company, and the patient doesn't have access or control to that tissue, so can't use it for their own benefit. So we run into stuff like that all the time. So I'm a passionate person in this area because it's justice for patients and getting them what they need, which is the best outcomes. Thank you for sharing that, Brad. And I can tell, I can sense it, I can feel that you are definitely activated and you are a man on the mission with not only the Cancer Hacker Lab, but the community you've built around it. So thank you for taking some time to come on our podcast today and share all of the things happening in your camp. This is important work. We're honored to be able to highlight it and share it out with our community. But for now, Brad, thank you again for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.